Hello and welcome to the Encounter Mercy Podcast. I'm your host, Vince Dragone, and today I have with me Father Andy Boyd. How's it going, Andy? Pretty good, and you, Vince? I'm doing good. We uh, we just got done eating some pretty good barbecue it was down the street. Good. So, uh, yeah, we're... An old firehouse, nonetheless. Yeah. The yeah. original firehouse in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Hopefully they're listening, the owners, because uh, mm-hmm. they... They are parishioners, so oh, are they? you never know. They okay. might be listening. And uh, I do like going there for lunch. It's a nice little place in town. I'm glad you took me there. It was delicious. Yeah. I had a brisket and pulled pork sandwich. You can't go wrong with that. Oh, it was amazing. Hopefully I'm glad I got the house barbecue sauce because yeah. that was good so- they I love it. They used to have on their tables all the different types of barbecue sauces because she was telling you they have the four different sauces. And I really like this, um, the spicy one as well as the house one. Mm-hmm. Mix them together. It's even better. They don't put them out anymore. So, uh, hey, Tony, uh, maybe you can uh, give us a hand here, you know? Or at least for Father Andy. That'd be great. But, yeah, great food. Love going there. They always have good beer on tap. Can't go wrong. Well, thank you for treating. Really appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. Thank you for coming down. All right. So today we're going to talk about uh, a recent um, uh, poll that was done by the Pew Research Center on uh, on the Eucharist. And they polled 10,971 American Catholics, and surveyed whether or not they believed in the church's teaching on transubstantiation. Out of 69% of Catholics surveyed believe that the bread and wine served at Mass is only a symbol of Jesus' body and blood, while 31% of Catholics surveyed recognizes the church's uh, teaching on transubstantiation. So, which, which is at you know, the moment during the consecration at Mass, where the bread and wine is actually becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's a bit concerning. Just a bit. Uh, so 22 of that 69% who do not believe know of the church's teaching, uh, but refuse to believe it. 43% uh, believe that uh, the blood or the, the bread and wine are merely symbols, and 4% of that 69% are completely unsure of what the Catholic Church teaches. So I guess some of the things to consider here, uh, a majority of Catholics who attend Mass weekly believe in transubstantiation. And this is something that I put in in my notes here. But, um, you know, the ones out of that 31 percent, they kind of broke down um, how often you go to Mass. And the the ones who uh, believe actually out of everybody, they broke down how often you go to Mass. Yeah. Yeah. The ones who went to church uh, weekly, at least weekly, uh, are the more likely to believe. And it seems to me, like, in that number, that the people that are more likely to believe that would be the ones that are probably coming daily or more regularly, even beyond that. I would assume so, yeah. I mean, it, and and not that, you know, because knowing your lifestyle, you know, I'm I'm blessed. I'm the priest. I'm the one that has to celebrate Mass. So I can get here when it, whenever I'm available. That's when the Mass is. And, you know, I have it in my schedule. But I know you have to work. So I know there's more people that would like to go to daily Mass that can't. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that those people that are at daily mass are the ones that really do have that strong faith in what we're talking about today in the Eucharist, specifically transubstantiation. So uh, I guess for seeing that a lot of Catholics don't understand or don't believe, and I know we have uh, folks listening from other denominations, can you break down real quickly what is transubstantiation? I know I touched upon it, yeah. um, but to really break it down so that everyone can understand. I think what, what really... Before we get into the specifics of transubstantiation, what I, I want to harp on, and, and I do mean harp, I mean I want to really hit this home because you said a number in there, and I'm just going to pull this back up 
in front of me because it's so important to understand that there are people who know what the church teaches but still refuse to te to believe it. They know it. They know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Catholic Church, she teaches about transubstantiation, the fact that the bread and the wine actually become the body, blood, soul, and divinity, but refuse to teach it. I want to make sure that everybody understands very clearly and those who are unsure of what the church teaches or think that maybe it was something we taught in the past and it was gotten rid of in Vatican II. I am telling you right now, as a Catholic priest, I am putting my priesthood on the line if I am wrong, but I know I'm not. The Catholic Church teaches and believes 100% in transubstantiation, that through the words of the priest, through the words of the priest at the Mass, whether that be priest or bishop, but through the words of the priest, the celebrant of the Mass, when the priest in the person of Christ says, this is my body and this is my blood, that it truly becomes a new substance, which is important. And we'll get into that in a minute. It is of utmost importance that we believe, and you have to believe this. This is a requirement in the church that you believe this. This isn't just something, oh, take it or leave it. No, 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 no. This is one of the foundational things about our faith that sets us apart is that this is truly his body, blood, soul, and divinity, that it's not a symbol, that it's not play acting, that it is really, truly, it happens. It happens. And it is really his body, blood, soul, and divinity. You have to believe that 100%. And I'm telling you now, whoever our listener is, that is a hallmark and a staple and a foundation stone of our faith. It is truly something that is real. It is real. And if we don't believe that, then that's where we have a problem. And that's, I'm hoping that through our listeners today, and I don't mean to bully anybody, but the point is that I hope through them listening, through whoever might listen to this today, tomorrow, or in the future, that they might understand truly that this is what we believe as a Catholic. Sure. And there are consequences to this too. Absolutely. And I mean, one of those consequences could be for, your, I mean, your own soul to begin with. Yes. You go to Mass at least every Sunday. I don't see too many people sitting in the pews when it's time to go up to communion. Um, and if only 31% of the people sitting in the pews are actually believe, then that means that you have a very large percentage of those who don't who right. are receiving communion. And we'll go into this uh, in a future episode on, on confession. And, uh, and receiving the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin. But this, I believe, would also have uh, consequences Absolutely. for your soul as well. If you don't believe it, why are you doing it? Right. If you don't truly believe what the church teaches, why are you there? Why? Why? And I don't mean that to be mean, but the question you have to ask yourself is, well, if I don't believe this, why am I here? Why, why, why am I watching this guy stand up there in funny clothes dancing around? Like, it's it's important we've talked about in the past how important the physical signs are of our faith the physical realities the the things that we can see the things that we can taste the things that we can hear our senses are important to us it's you know there's heresies in the church uh in the church of old and church of today that say that the physical world is trash it's all trash it just needs to be gotten rid of and that is still to this day a heresy the the Lord of all creation came into this world, spoken into existence, and we need to hold on to that. We need to 
continue to teach that. And if we say that the physical realm isn't important, then we're lying. And the same thing about the Eucharist. If we say that the Eucharist really isn't truly body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, we are lying, not only to those we speak to and we teach with or we talk to the faith about, but to ourselves. We can't continue to lie to ourselves. And it's so important. It's so important because there's so many abuses of the Eucharist in our world today. There's so many abuses of the Eucharist. And that is something we can get into as well as we continue this conversation. But that I wanted to very clearly set out at the beginning. The belief and the teaching of transubstantiation is real. It is a requirement of the faith and it is something that we need to believe in, we profess, and we teach. So staying on the topic of this, this research, um, what do you think the root cause of this is? Is it, yeah. is it a post-Vatican II thing? Is it just a, uh, with secular society and other Protestant denominations kind of creeping in? Where, where does this all stem from? I think it's, it's tough. It's tough to say exactly. Um, there's a lot of things that have caused um, a decline in belief in specific teachings of the church. For instance, the decline in the belief of the importance of baptizing your children, the decline in the belief of the importance of coming to the priest for the sacrament of reconciliation. And now this is just, this is following suit where we have a decline in the belief of the true presence, the, the absolute true presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Where does it come from? Well, secular society is number one. Uh, other areas that are definitely of influence are poor catechesis, uh, poor teaching of the faith. Um, you know, I, I, I blame that entirely on uh, just we have not as a community done a good job. And by community, I don't just mean one parish community. I'm talking about a global community. And remember, we also have to take into perspective that this is a poll that was only in America. So yes. that is another thing to pay attention to is that we can't globalize this. We can't globalize this at all because we don't know the numbers. But I think we can see that in a lot of areas of our world where there is more civil unrest and um, other situations like that, like America, uh, you're going to see a lot more people that have less faith. If you go to Africa... I guarantee you right now. And uh, one of the priests that I had in seminary, Father Emmanuel Afnugo, spectacular priest. But you know what? His He's from Africa and his family and the entire community, the, their whole focus is the church. Their whole focus is the church. And they truly believe. You know, the Africans truly believe. And I think we need to, as a Christian community, pay attention to the other parts of our church that have the faith and see what they are doing to teach it well. I was going to say Mexico too. Mexico, huge. But you flips this whole thing on its head. If Cuba, you were... yep. Spain is you know iffy at points in time. Italy is iffy. They're, you know they they have become so secularized that you know <clears throat> you're losing all of the teaching of the faith. Um, but Mexico, uh, Cuba, Puerto Rico, um, you know a lot of the South America countries. Those places 
and Poland, huge, huge Catholic presence in Poland. But then you have the flip side of Germany, where it's like anything goes, and you have other countries, um, you know, where the the standing up for the faith has become second, even for some of the clergy, it's become second, and that's that's a problem I would say as well is clergy not standing up for the true teachings of the faith and pro, uh, promulgating that faith the misinformation that's being spread um, whether it was by accident or on purpose or a uh, if there was some sort of negative reason for it no matter what it is there are people out there that are trying to go against the faith and so we have to continue to talk about this and that's why i'm glad that we're doing this topic you know, this is one of the first ones that you and I agree that we have to talk about, but we wanted to take our time on this because there's sure. way too much that we could talk about this. And, and it's just so important to understand that this is an important part of our faith. It, it, it is it is a key. It is the major key. Yeah, it almost makes you think Satan is at work here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, it doesn't, on his face, doesn't look like he's down here manipulating people, but he is. I mean, it's, yeah, this is yeah. one of those things where, uh, it just shouldn't be, and yes. and I understand that the the church probably should do a better job in the catechesis side of things. I knew I I grew up with kind of wishwashy catechesis. I feel like uh, whenever I was in public school, when I was in private school. You know, my first couple of years, I I was in elementary school, but I felt like uh, I just learned so much more about our faith than when I went to CCD. Yes. Uh, so I guess bring this back home to your parish. Or the parishes, you have three parishes that you um, that you're at. Do you think this reflects the views of your parishioners? Do you think maybe be the if you were to survey all you know all three parishes, that uh, you'd have the same sort of numbers? I, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, to be honest, I, I would have to. I think I really uh, would be more interested to see the numbers. I don't want to make any sort of assumption on numbers, but what I do think is, is that there would be a good number of people that were unsure of, if I said transubstantiation, they'd say, yeah, it's that weird word that you always use to explain the Eucharist, but it, I don't know what it means, sure. or I really don't care. How does this affect my life? And I think that that's important. And that's the second thing that I really wanted to hit home with this is, well, what is transubstantiation? Please go for it. Andy. Oh, I am not forewarning, and especially if there's any academics out there that are about to listen to this next exp explanation, I am not trying to give the understanding of metaphysics from Thomas Aquinas completely. There is so much that we could talk about. I don't know how I passed metaphysics in college when I was studying philosophy. I am not a metaphysician. I am not a good philosopher in the fact that I, I am just still learning you, you know? and i are amateurs at best oh god yes yes, yes. Uh, real quick before you get into saint thomas can you please uh, give kind of a, a quick background to saint thomas for those who have probably never heard of him so saint thomas aquinas was an italian dominican he was born around 1225 and he is considered a theologian and a doctor of the church because he was one of the most influential medieval thinkers in scholasticism and he's the father of what we call the Thomistic school of theology and metaphysics and uh, he was 
born in Rocasecca, uh, excuse me, Italy, and he took theology principles and philosophical principles and tried to put them together. You know, so as as Christians, we understand that all things come from God, and so he took this understanding of life and tried to bring them together. And so we have to understand a little bit about philosophy. And so like I said, I'm not an expert on this, but I can tell you what I was taught in seminary, and I can tell you the important aspects of it. In the understanding of everything around us, there is its substance and its accidents. And sometimes you're going to hear essence or accidents. They can be interchangeable. So sometimes you know, you're going to hear that. But the more important thing is you have the substance, what something is. And then you have its accidents, all of its attributes. For instance, for our viewers that are looking at the cameras, you're sitting in a wing-back chair, whereas I'm sitting in a desk chair. Well, they both have what we would consider chairness, right? Um, I am going, I am pulling all the way back from freshman year of college philosophy. So, chairness, what makes it a chair? Well, the fact that you can sit in it, the fact that it looks like a chair, you know, what are the differences? Well, yours is a winged back chair. So it has those crazy wings on it on the sides. You have the fabric is different than what I have. Mine is black. Yours is like a pinkish reddish color as it's faded over the years. Mine can lean back if I didn't have it locked. Yours is very straight backed. Can't do that. So does your, is your chair any different of a chair from my chair? Well, no, because it has its, its substance, because it is a chair. It's a chair. Now, here's where... And I think one thing, substance, for the most part, in the physical world doesn't change, but the accidents can. Right. So <clears throat> just as someday my hair may turn gray... I'm still Vince Dragone. Right. But the accident is that my hair is now gray. That's a really good explanation. This is why I have you around, so that you can take the, the really heady, stupid stuff that I have to remember and explain <laughs> it to people. I'd re yeah, instead of a chair, at least try to relate it to some of the other that things. That makes it Just more, that actually makes more sense. Yeah, so yes, you're right. So your hair, if your hair, like my hair, for our poor viewers, is falling out, and I am losing my hair, and it's thinning, and the hairline's <laughs> receding. But as soon as I lose my hair, do I become Michael Boyd, my father, because he doesn't have hair? No, I'm still Andrew Boyd. So you're right. Yes. So the accidents can change normally. In normal happenstance of life, the accidents will change, but the substance remains the same. Correct. It's a good way of explaining it. So here's the catch in the Eucharist. So we say transubstantiation. There is something that happens only in the Eucharist. It can't really happen elsewhere. There is a change of the substance, okay? And so the substance of the bread and the wine changes into the substance of the body and blood of Christ by this transubstantiation. When the priest says the words, the substance of the wine changes into the substance of the blood by transubstantiation and in the same terms the body of the the bread transubstantiates changes its substance not its accidents 
There's the key. So you might say, well, Father, it tastes like bread, even though I don't know how anybody could think the uh, communion wafers taste like bread. Still, it's made out of wheat flour, and that's important. It's, it's wheat flour. It has to have... It has to have gluten in it. So even if you say, well, I want a gluten-free host. No, no, no. Those don't exist in the Catholic Church. And if they do, they're not allowed. It has to have at least one one-hundredth of a percent of gluten in it for it to be considered eligible for communion. And the wine remains wine. It might taste like bread. It might look like bread. It might feel like bread. Once the priest says the words of consecration, this is my body, this is my blood, it is no longer bread. It might look like wine. It might taste like wine. It might feel like wine. Everything about it. It still has an alcoholic content. And sometimes not the best wine. Not the best wine. I will agree with that 100%. I've had some pretty bad altar wines. <laughs> it might look and taste like alcohol. It might look and taste like wine. It might look and taste and smell like wine and bread. But through transubstantiation, it is no longer bread and wine. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, you're going to say to me, Father, prove it. I can't. I can't. The only way I can prove it is to tell you, come to a Mass. Come to a celebration of the Eucharist. Come and actually witness it and allow your faith to prove it to you. That's the only way it's going to work is you have to have faith. You have to have faith. Mm -hmm. And and what does Christ say? Uh, or what does the, um, the one gentleman in the scripture, of course, a bad priest here again. I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. Come before God in when it comes time for the mass and if you don't believe but you are obstinate to belief that's where it becomes a problem but if you don't believe because you can't understand it just turn to christ and say i do believe help my unbelief i do believe help my unbelief yeah there are and coming taking this from bishop Aaron, um there are some things that science cannot explain and there are some things that uh that you can't just put all of your faith alone in as well. Otherwise you look like an idiot. Um, but there's a balance and you can find truth in everything. And to say that you can only find truth in the sciences or only find truth in the, in, in I guess, fideism, which would be, you know, just your faith, faith alone, faith alone. <clears throat> um, I think there's so much more to life and there's so much more of finding truth. And you can find that in those experiences, just like you can find truth in art just because, I mean, it's maybe not modern art, but, you know, some of the Renaissance paintings, uh, you can find real truth in that and you can find truth in, in everything in life. And you don't need to look at science and you don't need it to say, well, you know, it's a, it's a mystery. You, you know, there's, it's a mystery how it, it, it turns into the, the body and blood. And I guess what I'm just trying to get at is um, just because you can't see it happen. And just because it still tastes like bread and it still tastes like wine. Um, doesn't mean it's not true. Right. Um, I don't know. That's kind of all I have to say about that. And it's and, and I want to connect it to something. Recently in my parish community here, we went through for six weeks the um, video series Bishop Robert Barron has put out on the Mass. And the last session, he talks about the real presence and the true presence. And there's all – remember, if we take ourselves back to the time of Christ – 
we hear in the gospel reading, specifically the gospel of John, we hear about Christ talking about the bread of life. Remember the I am statements? He says, I am this, I am that. Well, one of them is I am the bread of life. And I just, I want to, he suggests that we reread that and we listen to that. And I think it's key because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to put up some of the objections here because we're still to this day considered by some more radicalized Protestant groups to be people who are cannibals. Yes, I've heard that before. I've heard that all the time. You're cannibals, you're drinking blood, you're eating body, you're eating flesh, you're crazy. Okay, so if they actually believe that, then that means they have to believe that what's happening at the mass is really converting into the body, blood, soul, and divinity. So I just find that fascinating. And then this will also lead into our final uh, little area that we want to discuss, at least I'd like to bring up, is the whole idea of the desecration of the Eucharist because that's such an important thing to realize that that's actually happening. Yes. And we need to we need to hold on to our Eucharist with we, we need to be very careful with it. We need to be very careful because it truly is our Savior's body, blood, soul, and divinity. It says here in the Gospel of John, Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, now notice something. He doesn't, they aren't telling him. They aren't telling him what they said. He just knows. And so Christ says to them, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you will not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, that manna, whoever eats this bread will live forever speaking of his flesh then many of his disciples who were listening said this saying is hard who can accept it Jesus knew from the very beginning the ones who would not believe and the ones who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. Faith. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, and here is an important thing. Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter, now this is, in, if you look at people who have taken this scripture apart and looked at it, they say that this is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. This whole gospel passage, this is the gospel of John, and it's specifically John 6, 47 through 58, 60, 64 through 69. I, we'll include this in the podcast reading so that you can look it up later if you want to look at this. But the point is, 
he already knew what was going to happen. He knew from the create the moment of creation, from the beginning of time, because he didn't say to them, "What are you quarreling about your, amongst yourself?" He knew that this would be difficult, and so the people say to him, "This is too hard. We can't do this. We can't accept this." And he knew you have to have faith. You have to have faith to be able to actually believe this and understand it. I suppose it's no, look at the poll. I mean, the, the recent Pew poll. I mean, this this is that. Yeah. This is some of his disciples who just say, "Okay, I'm going to go home now." Yeah. This is too hard. Yeah, it's too hard. We're going to give up now. We're yep. just going to walk away. Well, wait a minute. What about all the other things that you've seen him do? What about all the people that he's cured so far in the gospel at this point? What about all of the teachings of love your brother as yourself, love your neighbor as yourself? Well, that's all great, but you know what? You said we have to eat your body and drink your blood. Well, we're just, we'll cut that section out and say, oh, he didn't really mean that. But you're going to say that, Sola Scriptura, you're going to say by Scripture alone you have faith, or by Scripture alone you're saved, or whatever you're going to call it, you say to yourself. But you're going to then say, but except in this one part, it doesn't make sense. You know, eat my body, drink my blood. This is my body, this is my blood. Do this in memory of me. Like, oh no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to believe that. Or they don't really mean that. No, 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 no. The church says what she says, and she says, we truly believe this 100%. No matter what you say, 100% we believe this. Do me a favor. Hand me that book right there on that chair, the purple one. Sure thing. Because what I want to do, the one all the way at the bottom. Oh, I'm sorry. This no, is that's red, fine. Not I purple. want the Roman Missal. I want to show you there is a prayer here because, see, this, this is what is amazing. The church does a great job. There's a part of the Mass, and the part of the Mass that I want to talk about is called the preface. So the preface comes after the priest says, uh, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. So then the priest says the prayer of the day over the gifts, and then he begins the preface. And the preface starts with, the Lord be with you. And we got that whole back and forth. So we're going back and forth, the Lord be with you. Now, Something, I know I'm talking fast. I get excited if you can't tell. My parishioners yell at me about this all the time because when I get excited, I just start talking really fast. The point is that I want to make here is that our faith is itself a gift from God, which is weird because it doesn't make any sense. How can something that we give to God be also something that he gives to us that we give back? There's a key here. There's a key here. So the preface, when we talk about the word the lord be with you and everybody responds with and with your spirit it's just not it's not this this nice this nice feeling that we get of oh you know and with your spirit no 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 it goes beyond that it is truly saying with the recognition because the priest is in the person of christ through the spirit that they're recognizing christ in that moment the lord be with you and with the spirit of christ that is within you lift up your hearts we lift them up to you not to the priest, but to Christ, who's in the priest. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. And then, here's the prayer. There's a little introduction, and then the part that I really want to focus on. This is common preface number four. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. Here's the key. Here is the key about everything that we do, our faith, our, our prayers, our belief, everything. For although you, meaning God, because we're talking the priest in the is talking to God on behalf of the people. Remember, he's the mediator. He's going back and forth between the people and God. On behalf of the people, 
The priest says, although you, God, have no need of our praise, yet our thanksgiving is itself your gift to us. So he's saying that our praise is a gift from him for us to give back to him. Since our praises add nothing to your greatness, but profit us for salvation. So the thing to understand about when we're talking about the mass is, and having faith, is it something that is God is going to give you? As Bishop Barron reminds us by reading Gospel of John, and it says here, when they say, this saying's too hard, who can accept it? Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the ones who would betray him. So he's talking about specifically the one who would betray him. We know that as Judas. And he says, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. So we have now talked about the fact that faith is a gift from God given to us to give back to him so that he can give it back to us. This sounds really strange, doesn't it? Except sure does. when you put it in the terms of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is communication. How do you have a relationship with someone without communication? That's what prayer is with God. We communicate with God. We give him everything about us. Not just the bad things, not just the good things, not just the happy things, not just the sad things, everything. Even the part so deep inside of us that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to touch. He wants it all, and we give it to him. And then he gives it back to us to give back to him, back to us, back to him. It's this cyclical nature of prayer. It's the cyclical nature of faith. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it's not something that we can get to on our own. And so, as you said, you can't just take everything by science because there's still a lot of things that science doesn't understand. It's I'm pretty sure um, that the theory of gravity is not a law of gravity. It's still a theory. You know what the difference is? It means that it's not always possible to be proven 100% of the time. So are you telling me that you're going to base your entire life on something that isn't able to be proven all 100% of the time? Well, yeah, because we do it all the time. It's called faith. You have faith that you're going to wake up tomorrow, and when you step foot out of your bed, you're not going to float away because gravity just decided overnight that it's not going to happen. You have faith that that gravity is always going to work. Same thing with God. You have to have faith. You have to have faith through all of it that God is going to work. And so if you say, well, this is too hard. We can't we can't continue with this teaching. We can't understand this teaching. It's just not possible. Then ask God for that faith. As I said, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. It really is important that we understand this because that is what our entire life is based on, is faith in God. Faith in God. God has made us hundreds of thousands of promises from all of creation history, from the beginning of creation history through today. He has made us hundreds of promises. Look through scripture. Look at all the times that God made a covenant with his people. God never fails in his covenants. You know who does? Us. Yeah. Every time. Every time. God never fails in his covenants. It's us who fail him. And so God has made all these promises and he always holds up his end of the deal. He always holds up his end of the bargain. 
And he finally made a promise to us. But he said, do this in memory of me. We have to have faith in him. We have to continue to hold our faith in him. And if we don't, then we're nothing. And I'm going to talk about that. So what are the consequences if that 31% becomes 25%, becomes 15%, becomes 5% of people who actually believe? What's the few? Yeah. Where does that leave us? Well, <clears throat> what's the point of the church then? Is there a point of the Catholic Church? Now, the answer is always yes. But the point that I'm trying to make is we're going to see if we don't teach it. Not only if we don't teach our faith, but if we don't actively believe it and participate in it, if we don't actively seek out our faith, then it's going to fall apart. It becomes we're, a sideshow. It becomes a sideshow. It becomes a play. It yeah. becomes this uh, um, pageantry that has no purpose. There's beautiful pageantry in the church, beautiful pageantry in the church, but it has a purpose. If it is just a play that someone puts on every week, why? You know, I'm not a morning person. I'm not a morning person at all. And the fact that we have a 7 a.m. mass in my parish on Sunday morning and I have to do it every other week is painful, extremely painful. And so I don't care what time I go to bed. Getting up at 6 a.m. is not my cup of tea. Never has been, probably never will be. Why am I getting up at 7 a.m. and wasting my time to put on a show that goes on four other times throughout the day? You know, is it really that necessary then? I'm not saying that, well, you know, we can get rid of it then because it's just a show. But the question I have is, is why, are, why would we put all of our effort into this. Why wouldn't we just do it once a year maybe? Sure. You know, yeah. and in some of our Protestant churches around us, they do that. You don't get communion every week. You may not get it every month. You may not even get it more than once a year because it's nothing special. Just a symbol. It's just a symbol, but it's not for us because here's a special term because we believe in what is called anamnesis. Anamnesis, a Greek word that essentially means making present again. When we celebrate the Mass, Christ isn't constantly dying on the cross. When we celebrate the Mass, it's not just doing it in a play or, you know, just putting on a show. Somehow through faith, we have to believe and understand that it is happening all at the same time. When we are at the Eucharist, when we are at the celebration of the Mass, when the priest says the words, we are at the Last Supper, we are at Calvary, we are at the death, we are at the burial, we are in all of those moments, all at the same time. It is all happening. How? Faith. You have to take that on faith. But it's anamnesis, making present again. We are making that moment that it happened once and for all present again. Here's another reason why the church is so strict on her rules. Because wherever you go in the world, the Catholic Mass is the exact same. We are all following the same words. We're all following the same actions because it is all the same celebration. And it's so important that we understand that because, as you asked, if we don't believe this, 
Well, then my question is, why are people coming to church? If we don't actually take this as gospel truth, which, as you heard, as everybody who's heard this podcast today, it is gospel truth. He said it. He said it over and over again. Why are we wasting our time? If we truly believe in the gospel, if we truly believe in the faith that is professed to us through Jesus Christ, we have to hold on to this truth. We cannot let it go. And if we do, we'll see more and more churches close. We'll see less and less communities <clears throat> existing. If we just become a means, if we as a church, as a Catholic church, just becomes a become a means to spread good cheer and to help the poor, but not actually teach the faith, there will be no way to continue to help the poor. If we don't actually teach our faith, we're not going to be able to do our good works. Faith without works is dead. But key there is you have to have the faith first. That's what we have to put first is Christ, Christ crucified, Christ broken for us so that we can have salvation. It's the only way that we'll be able to continue to have a church. And we need to have respect for the Eucharist, a respect that is so often not there, not present. You know, I, can, I can't even begin to count all the times that I've seen people come up for communion that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and if you're going to receive on your hands, fine. Put your hands out. If you're going to receive on the tongue, that's fine. Know what you're doing. It doesn't bother me. It, and it doesn't bother me. If you want to kneel for communion, fine. If you're going to stand for communion, fine. Just know what you're doing. And also, don't walk away with communion. You know, how else are these churches, these churches of Satan, being able to desecrate the Eucharist? Well, first off, there's two interesting things I want to point out at this. And the uh, two things that I want to point out is one, if they are actually believing what they're desecrating is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, then they have to believe in transubstantiation. Yeah. You don't see them going to any other denomination to get the communion to desecrate. It's only the Catholic Church. They only can receive it from the Catholic Church. So they're not desecrating communion from uh, you know, any of our Protestant churches. It's only the Catholic Church. And then second, uh, how are they getting it out of the church? means that they're probably receiving in the hand and then just slipping in their pocket instead of, you know, actually consuming the Eucharist. So for our listeners out there, what we need, here's what we need to do. This is, this is Father Andy's now, now that he's come off of his high of talking for a few minutes and uh, taking up the entire end of the podcast here. Here's my call to actions as the priest. First, if you are having difficulty believing in this, reach out to your pastor, reach out to us, you know, send us an email. This isn't just a plug to send us emails because we want emails, which are email. We do. We do want emails. We do. Please, you know, give us some <clears throat> info. And so ironically, our email address is info at encountermercy.com. And, uh, reach out to us and ask us, ask me for some suggestions on reading. I can, we can give you some suggestions on reading to further help you with your understanding of the Eucharist. Go to adoration. Yeah. I thought the first time I ever went to adoration, it wasn't until I was an adult. What a powerful thing. 
completely changes your experience. Yeah, it's a totally different. It is a different experience, and it's it's beauty, and it just I don't I, I to me I just you can really feel it. Yeah. And I never thought that I would thinking because I, I never never did it until I was an adult, and I'm thinking like, what am I going to just sit here stare and stare at this thing? And yeah. No, 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 no. It's it's way more than that. You can yeah. really feel if you if you really kneel down and you pray, you can feel Jesus's present. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Going to Eucharistic adoration, spending time with God, mm-hmm. spending time not only with God in His body, blood, soul, and divinity whether it be exposed or reposed in the tabernacle, spending time with him and even taking some time while you're in that his presence to read his word in the gospels, to read the teachings of the faith through the catechism, or, you know, taking a theologian, a well-respected theologian, Bishop Barron, for instance, is a wonderful man on this, and taking his writings and actually reading them and seeing what he has to say about the Eucharist, or taking St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote immensely on the Eucharist, or even Padre Pio, one of my favorites, wrote uh, spoke a lot on the Eucharist and how he was so devoted to the celebration of the Mass. There is so many saints that have talked about the Eucharist and the celebration of the Mass and their importance. Real quick, I wanted you to—we did a podcast that we scrapped, but you had this amazing— story, if you will, about a saint who on her deathbed... Therese Lisieux. Please go. Therese Lisieux. So Therese Lisieux, uh was on her deathbed and she was uh, not doing so well and the community... Remember, Therese is a Carmelite so she was a cloistered Carmelite and they're behind the screen and Therese was in... On her deathbed, and uh, the community had the newly ordained priest come out and celebrate Mass for them. And Mother thought that it would be a wonderful thing that Sister got to talk with the priest. Uh, because if we remember right, Therese was encouraged by the uh, the mother of the community to write down everything to keep a journal, as well as her spiritual director told her to do the same thing. So the young priest comes in, talking to her, and she says, bring me his chalice. And they're confused, so they they uh, agreed to it, and they brought her his chalice. And you know the priest is kneeling there next to the side of the bed, praying with her, talking with her. But Therese isn't paying any attention; she's only paying attention to the chalice, and she's looking in the cup of the chalice. Now, to understand a little bit, the chalice is lined with a precious metal, so usually that would mean it's shiny. And as she's looking into the cup, finally, uh, Mother Superior says, "Sister, what are you doing?" And she says, isn't it beautiful how my face and the blood of my Lord can fit in the same cup? Well, she's seeing her reflection. And, you know, every time that you look into the chalice, every time you receive the blood of Christ and you look into the chalice and you see reflection, it realize that we're bathed in the blood of Christ. And so, you know, it's a beautiful, very simple, very simple, because she was a very simple girl and she died very young at the age of 24. But very simple, you know, she could see herself bathed in the blood of Christ. And that is who we are as a people, is bathed in the blood of Christ to actually be his, totally his. So we place ourselves in that moment in in the person, in the presence of the person of Christ who is present there in the Eucharist. So taking time for adoration, taking time to read about this, the faith, 
Here's something else that I want to encourage everybody to do. Pay attention to how you receive communion. If you're going up there, now parents, best of luck trying to convince your kids to do this without them actually wanting to do this, but you yourself need to be an example to them. Take the time before you come up in line and actually think about what and who you are receiving and what you are doing. If you're going to receive on the hands, don't just put out one hand, put out two. Your dominant hand goes underneath your non-dominant hand, you know, and present your hands. Don't put your hands on the floor, pick them up. You know, I'm a tall guy, and especially when I'm dealing with the lovely little old ladies who put their hands so far down that I have to try to reach down and not drop the host. I'm always terrified I'm going to drop the host. Bring your hands up. Bring your hands up. When the priest says the body of Christ, say amen. Say it loud. Don't just mumble it. Don't ignore him. Don't scowl. You might not like the priest. Maybe you don't like what he said. Maybe you're just angry. Just say amen because it's your moment with Jesus. Say amen. And when the priest places the host in your hand, pick it up and consume it immediately. Don't do the whole sidestep. Don't do the whole, you know, walking away and then I'll receive. Don't do that. Allow the Eucharist to be placed in your hand. Take it out of your hand and put it into your mouth in the sight of the priest. Even if it's just, you know, you don't have to stand there and like chomp down on it and just wait until it's consumed. No, no, no. Place it in your mouth as you're stepping aside. So that way, I know that it's been consumed. Don't walk away with it. If you see someone that walks away with it, bring it up to my attention. Bring it up to the priest's attention. Don't don't try to take it into your own hands unless you are told to by your priest. You mean don't tackle them? Please don't tackle have them. Have you tackled anybody? I, I haven't tackled anybody, but numerous times <clears throat> I have seen someone who, in one situation, the gentleman put it in his pocket and walked away and I went and I I walked right behind him and I said excuse me you need to consume that or you need to give it back to me and he became very upset and very irate I said either you consume that or you give it back to me and um, he gave it back to me and he gave me the host back but he was a Buddhist and he said I was just gonna take it home as a souvenir I said no 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 the host is not a souvenir whoa <laughs> the host is not a souvenir <laughs> You know, you, you don't come to church and take it home as, as a mem uh, as something you get to remember. No, no, no. You, you either consume it or you receive a blessing. And if you're going to come up for communion, please, please indicate if you want a blessing. Place your hand over your heart. And that's you about now in the United States, at least, that's like the universal sign that you want a blessing instead of to receive communion. And if the priest does understand, says the body of Christ, just say blessing, Father. And usually he'll give you a blessing, no problem. And if you're going to receive on the tongue, there are some great videos. One of them is from the bishop of, uh, a bishop of Florida. Specifically, if I could find my notes, the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, the bishop there, after the viewing of this post, of this um, poll, became very aware of the need to create some videos, and he recorded three videos, about five minutes long each, we'll include the link, and they talk about in the second video how to receive communion, and he does a great job of explaining how to receive on the tongue. Just like a little bird, and now the, our Byzantine brothers and sisters do a much better job at this because they receive the body and blood together in tincture. Oh, on a spoon, right? Yeah, on a spoon. They drop it into your mouth. <clears throat> um, but 
it's if you're going to receive on the tongue, open your mouth, stick out your tongue. Don't you know? Don't do eh, like you know, tongues down, the tip of your not tongue like is down your chin. No, yeah, yeah, you're not doing a kiss, <laughs> but um, stick it out just enough so that the priest can rest the host on your tongue. Don't do the uh, the slot machine. I had a gentleman, um, a lovely man, but he had dentures, and he did the slot machine. And I went to give him the host, and I hit the dentures, and they fell out. His dentures fell out. His dentures fell out. Oh boy! I was so embarrassed. He was so embarrassed. He never received on the tongue again. I feel bad because you know that's a good devotion to have. <laughs> I just you know if you're gonna receive on the tongue, open your mouth. Open your mouth. <clears throat> you know. Don't don't worry. Don't be afraid. The priest isn't going to judge you. Just open your mouth and we'll rest it on your tongue. And uh, uh, please don't lick our fingers and don't bite my fingers again. Just, just I know little weird things like this. I'm saying, but these these are good things to pay attention I'm sure to. The things that happen. These are the crazy things that happen in real life. But the most important thing you could do when you're walking up in line for um, communion is to pay attention to what you're doing and pay attention to what the priest is saying. Body of Christ. Amen. You receive it. Don't walk away with him and encourage others to pay attention to what they're doing as well. So that's me on the Eucharist. Just a, just a little glimpse of it. If I had more time, we'd go further. And, and there's nothing saying we can't have a follow-up episode. Of course. Uh, I'm maybe in a couple of years, Pew will do another poll and the numbers are reversed. I would because, love to see that. You know, the church has at least uh, maybe the, the USCCB does something where all the parish, you know, puts out some information where all the parishes could uh, get on the same page. And yeah, we got to do something. And I think even just by <clears throat> the five people that will listen to us, whether they're Catholic or not, I think this is going to help as well. Sure. So and maybe yeah, and if you weren't Catholic or you are Catholic who didn't know, maybe now you at least understand what we think. Maybe you don't agree with it, but at least now you understand. Uh, whereas before, maybe it was. Why in the world would you, why do they do that? Yeah. Just like I'm hoping, uh, you know, our episode on Mary was one of, one of those where, yeah. you know, for our non-Catholic friends that why in the world do Catholics worship Mary? And yet they don't. Yeah. So you know, the whole, that whole lovely situation, which isn't true at all. Yeah. But the, uh, my recommendation at this point is if you have any questions that come up when listening to this podcast, or if you are a priest listening and I said anything wrong, please do let us know. I'm sure my brothers will let me know as soon as I say something wrong, so that way I can make a correction. And I will do the whole mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa as much as I possibly can. That's my fault, my fault, my most grievous fault for all those who don't know Latin. So um, do let us know. As I said before, our email address is info at encountermercy.com. And, of course, you can find us where, Vince, online? www.encountermercy.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, soon-to-be YouTube, and uh We're and live Twitch. streaming. Yeah, live streaming on, on Twitch. Twitch. Now that I'm learning what Twitch that. is, it's kind of cool. Um, and you pray- can all- Oh, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, you can always call us with your oh, yeah, verbal that's right. comments. I, that's right. I know. I'm going to keep that. reminding you. Our phone number is uh, area code 814-580-8030. You can find that on our website, of course, as well. And uh, give us a call. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter, we hope to get some newsletters out to you all, especially maybe even send uh, some 
helpful tips along the way. So sign up for our newsletter. You can do that on our website. There's a there's a form in our contact form as well as at the bottom of our website to sign up for our newsletter. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I guess the last thing I have, uh, pray for the church. Yes. Uh, always pray for the church. And educate your family and friends on the Eucharist. Um, there can never be too much knowledge about it. Um, you know what I would like to see? I'd like to see Pew do a poll on what Catholics think about the Sacrament of Reconciliation. That'd be a good one to see because I'm sure there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Yeah, we'll get to that. At least some of the misconceptions, I'm sure. All right, guys. That's all I have. You got anything else? And that's it for today. Be good. Don't do anything too crazy. Yeah, God bless. Take care. We'll see you next time at Mass.